This episode of the Gondrepreneur Podcast is made possible by 420 friendly service providers in the Gondrepreneur Business Directory. If you need professional help with your business, from accounting to legal services to consulting, marketing, payment processing, or insurance, visit gondrepreneur.com slash businesses to find service providers who specialize in helping cannabis entrepreneurs like you. Visit the Gondrepreneur Business Directory today at gondrepreneur.com slash businesses. Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and thank you for listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of Gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Chris Hagedorn. He's the general manager for Vancouver, Washington-based Hawthorne Gardening, uh, which provides cultivation supplies. Uh, He's been a featured speaker at MJ BizCon and has been in his role with Hawthorne since 2014. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing all right, man. How about yourself? Uh, it's a, it's never a bad day, man. Never a bad day. It's nice to have you on. Uh, I admittedly, and I've, I've said this on the show several times, uh, I've I've never even grown a uh, you know a, a sunflower. Uh, so uh, you know, it's nice to have uh, people on that you know can fill in these these big gaps that I have in, in my own knowledge base and, and help to inform uh, our listeners. Um, before we get into some of the, the details of what you do, tell me about yourself. How did you end up in the cannabis space? Sure. Yeah. So you know, grew up around. Uh, around the gardening business. Um, so my, my grandpa actually, uh, Horace started miracle Grow back in the fifties here in New York, which is where, where, where I'm at currently. Um, so grew up around the business. Uh, my old man, Jim took it over in the mid nineties. So always been around growing plants. And when I was getting out of college, getting married and all that, um, started looking at the business and, you know, me, my father, our board of directors and everyone saw, what looked like a big opportunity. So we started looking around and, you know, it's always something that we've been um, personally as a family um, kind of passionate about um, both the recreational and, and kind of therapeutic medical side. So it was, you know, personal passion and business interests aligned and just super lucky to be, to be here at this, at this time, you know, it's just this window open that we were able to sort of throw ourselves through. So you're in New York right now. Are you in uh, New York city? No, no, I'm out on Long Island, a town called Port Washington. All right. So, I mean, I'm also in New York. I live in the Adirondacks. And, and you know, this coming session, it's looking like, you you know, we might actually get uh, legalization. You know, uh, what's what's sort of the, the, the industry that you're in? Are, are you guys expecting that? You know, what's sort of the, the, the hubbub, uh, you know, within the industry in New York? Yeah, so, look, we're, we're certainly hopeful, you know, and we, we – try to stay pretty active when it comes to, uh, to government relations, which is, look, it's a, it's a prettier word for lobbying, um, which had always kind of had a negative connotation to me until I got into a business where it felt pretty necessary to help steer politicians and legislators who might not be super informed about this industry um, to make sensible decisions for their, you know, for their constituents, for the voters. So we're hopeful. Um, but again, I, look, I was, I was hopeful last time this thing came up and we got stymied by, you know, law enforcement and, you know, mothers against drunk driving. A lot of people who I think have are well-intentioned, but maybe not super well-informed about the, about the industry, about the product. Um, so again, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I don't think I can go much further than that. 
<laughs> well, in Long Island, we have sort of the the strange Democrats down there that you know don't often you know support uh, medical cannabis. Uh, you know, in, in New York, in upstate New York, that's obviously sort of the same deal as they don't support cannabis policy. Anyway, we sort of uh, went off on a tangent there. Uh, t- tell me what sets uh, Hawthorne apart from other picks and shovels uh, companies in the cannabis industry. Uh, yeah, look, I think the I think the biggest thing that sets us apart is we really look at at the grow. Whether you're talking about you know a small kind of basement grow like a ten lighter or a big indoor grow, a greenhouse or even outdoor, uh, then we look at everything pretty uh, pretty holistically. So you know we don't have a lot of people that uh, that that compete against us in every single category that we're in. So I think you know when you look at lights, nutrients, growing media you know, air handling and filtration, kind of HVAC stuff, control systems that we really look at it all in a way that I'm not sure a lot of other people do. Um, when, and, and which I think you need to, when you, when you got, everything needs to work together. So, you know, when you, when you talk about sort of the, the nutrients and the, uh, you know, the, the, all of, all of the stuff that you offer, um, you know, what, what's the learning curve there applying that, uh, to cannabis for you and, and for the, the consumers, uh, that, that you might come across? Sure. Yeah. Look, I think there's a pretty steep learning curve when it comes to to growing this plant. You know, it's 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 a plant, and I think the vast majority of plants share a whole bunch of different attributes that are fairly common across the board. You know, every plant needs light, every plant needs water and nutrients and all that. Uh, but this is a really really complex plant. So we've certainly learned. Um, you know, Scotts is a company that's been around. Um, so Scotts, just a little background. Scotts and Miracle Grow merged back in 1995. Miracle Grow was was my family's business. Scotts had already existed, so combined, the business has existed for over 150 years, um, and we've been growing plants that whole time. So we felt like we had a pretty good grasp on on how this whole thing worked. Um, we it, it was it, it's been a real learning experience for us over the past five six years that we've been entered the, the category, just learning how much complexity there is to the plant, how many different ways you can push it to do different things. And frankly, that's something we're hoping to learn even more about. We're building an R&D facility up in Canada right now so we can do real research on the plant we can't do here in the U.S. Um, so I think the learning curve is steep and we haven't reached the top of it or, or bottom of it, however you want to look at it uh, yet, and won't for some time. So, I mean, Miracle Grow, I mean, that's a household name. And so I guess the question is, what was sort of the the internal decision making that went on when you guys decided to sort of, you know, enter enter this space? Yeah. So it's something we've, we, you know, we've been looking at, at cannabis for, for quite a while. I think my old man is first sort of recorded saying something in a Wall Street Journal article back in like 2011. So, you know, he was, he was asked by the interviewers, is something you guys are looking at? And he said, yeah, look, as people growing plants, there's no reason we wouldn't. Now, at the time, our, our board of directors and a lot of our, our investors flipped out and were super uncomfortable with the idea. Um, so it, it took a few more years for us to kind of get over the hump with people to show them it was a worthwhile sort of initiative for us, so a worthwhile strategy. Um, so when once we once we got over that hump, there was still a bit of testing the water. Where we said, okay, let's buy a we'll buy a nutrient brand because we know we know plant food, right? Before we yeah. something like lights, um, which which we did subsequently. Uh, so since 2014, you guys have added General Hyponics, uh, Botanicare, uh, Gavita Horticulture, lighting uh, to to the portfolio. Uh, what what do you guys look for in potential brands? Yeah, you know we look for brands that you know. There's look, it's a 
there's a lot of brands across the the hydro category that are uh, what I would consider sort of less clean. And I'm talking about some sort of a brand identity perspective, you know, some brands that that advertise, you know, it's all about weed. It's all about, you know, women shoving, you know, big buds into their cleavage and stuff, which is which is fine, whatever. I don't mean to sound judgy, um, but no, you see that a lot at, at trade shows. Oh, yeah. No, it's all over the place. And, and I think for a while it had been kind of the the standard way you you portrayed yourself. Um, it's obviously that's not something that we we really identify with um, as a company. So we're looking for people who who market themselves more about just the product. You know how how is the product? How does it work? What can it do for a for a grower? Um, we also look for brands that are that are market leaders, brands that have really good position in the marketplace, brands that have really unique, high quality products, brands that have good management teams because. Going into this, we knew that we needed people who who really understood hydro, who understood cannabis in a way that we didn't just because we were new. So we, yeah. we looked pretty hard at who the folks were that actually made up these companies. Um, obviously, in concert with the brands that they that they were pushing to make sure that it was a good fit for us. So you know, obviously, you know, Scotch Miracle Grow, as I said, it's a household name. Uh, and and when I actually covered. Uh, uh, sort of a few years ago, a story with Scott's. Uh, and, you know, I found it interesting reading the comments, which I don't do anymore. Uh, how many people were sort of upset uh, with Scott's getting into uh, the cannabis space, you know, buying up uh, some of these companies? What is your reaction to those mowing the entree of companies like Scott's uh, into the cannabis space? Yeah, look, I, I get it. You know, I think a lot of people really loved the sort of cottage industry that that cannabis was that it had developed into over the years. And 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 I get that. I don't I don't begrudge them sort of hanging on to that past. Um, the reality is this industry is evolving and it's coming out of the shadows. It's coming into the spotlight. And you know I think there's a few things that people should look at when it comes to a company like ours being in the in the category, which is number one, look, Scott's if you look across the the landscape at at, at other cannabis companies, we are not the big guys in the room anymore. You know, we've got we've got customers that we work with up in Canada, like Canopy Growth Corporation, who have twice the market cap that Scotts does. So I, I I don't really think of us as the big guy anymore. Um, but I think a lot of people just don't like the idea of kind of what they consider corporate America coming into the space. And, and again, I, I get it. Um, but I, on the other hand, I see the the benefit, which for us is look. You got guys who are growing really fast, customers of ours, you know, whether those are retailers or, or the folks that they sell to, the growers, who are growing 100% a year and moving into new states all the time or new countries across the world. And those guys need a company who can supply them with, with equipment that's, that can scale as quickly as they are. And that's something I think we're pretty uniquely positioned to do just with the infrastructure Scott's has. We can actually serve customers globally. Um, in a way that I don't think a lot of the f- folks we compete with can. <clears throat> so I see, I see us as a as a necessary part of the evolution. Is this is going big time? We've been part of kind of big American business for a while, and I think it was a union that was just bound to happen. Um, and I hope that people can look at our actions since we've been here, and and kind of assess us fairly for who we've proven ourselves to be, not who they assumed us to be. Well, and you said that you, you know, you you do some uh, political outreach, you know, with the the sort of soft term for lobbying. Um, you know, not a lot of companies, I don't think, are in that position uh, to do that. And 
you know, so so in in that role, uh, where do you see yourself sort of in that role? Do you see yourself as sort of, you know, the the household name that's you know going to bat for this industry? Um, you know, what, what's, what's that relationship sort of evolved to? What's it like? Yeah, look, I, I, I do see us having some role and I know, you know, I, I, I hesitate to, to say that too strongly because I think it could come off as condescending to the industry. Look, the industry has plenty of advocates, you know, there's plenty of folks in down in DC and all across the, the country that are, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a little bit of a, a cold I'm getting over. Um, who, who are pushing hard for this for this industry and pushing hard to protect consumers and protect growers and retailers and everyone else? Um, but I think I think we we are seen by some folks in the government as sort of the adults in the room, right or wrong, um, just because we're a you know we're a big publicly traded company for Ohio, so they feel like when we show up that we have we have a maturity now again whether that's a legitimate perspective that we've earned and that other people should be seen as immature. I'm not going to even get into all that. But I think for for legislators who don't know any better, they see us as being kind of the mature folks in the room. And I think when we say something, it carries gravity that that it might not have when it comes from, from some other people, even if it should. Um, so so we try to use that, that perceived weight um, sort of for good. Now, look, obviously, we, we want to steer things in a way that's that's beneficial to ourselves as along with the rest of the industry. But I think, again, I think we've got an ability to to make our voice heard in a way that I think a lot of other folks in the industry, no matter how legit it is what they're saying, they might not have that ability. And what has been your experience with, you know, companies that are specifically, you know, focused on growing cannabis? Are, are they hesitant to work with you due to your sort of corporate ties and your publicly traded sort of uh, status? Uh, you know, we've look, we've we've caught some folks that have that have not been happy with us, some folks that haven't wanted to work with us. We've encountered a heck of a lot more people that have wanted to work with us who see our scale, our ability to, to service them really efficiently as a benefit. Um, and it's something that I think that, you know, we, we definitely dealt with more the first couple of years that we'd enter the category where people really didn't know what to think of us, just saw us as kind of big guys who were pushing our way into the space. That perception, I think, has fallen off um, due to the work that, that the team just out there working with retailers, working with growers. Um, the work that they've done, I think, has really kind of sort of turn down that that negative opinion. But look, there's still some folks out there that are skeptical who'd rather work with small craft brands. And I get that. Um, I, you know, look, as a consumer, I I enjoy drinking craft beer, smoking craft cannabis. So I understand the the tendency towards smaller brands, um, but it's something that we've dealt with less and less. So you said in an interview uh, that you see greenhouse growing um, becoming, quote, the most prevalent form of growing, uh, end quote, cannabis, I, I, I presume. Uh, how How is your company preparing uh, for that change? Yeah, look, we're, we're developing all sorts of products right now um, from, you know, lights to, to nutrients and, and air movement products and HVAC products specifically designed for greenhouse, which I, I still believe is, is, it is completely inevitable. You know, we, we sell a heck of a lot of lights that are used primarily for indoor, but products like the Gavita, the standard Gavita thousand watt HPS light, that's high pressure sodium light. Um, that that's a product that was developed in Holland for, traditional greenhouse growing. It's a supplemental top light. So the products in our portfolio, the heritage that we have is really built around greenhouse growing. 
and it's just so much more energy efficient. And when you look at what I think is going to be a real reckoning when it comes to sustainability, just the way that the way that cannabis has grown right now, it's it's a pretty unsustainable process. Um, just when you when you think environmentally, so I think there's there's going to be either either the industry is going to start to hold itself to a higher standard, which 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 we hope to be a part of, or the government's going to come in and tell us you're going to have to grow a different way. And we want to be prepared for that because look, the reality is you can get extremely high quality flour out of a greenhouse with a fraction of the energy consumption. Uh, just by using the sun, you know, instead of buying all of our lights. And look, I don't get me wrong. I love selling lights, but I, I just I look at the the reality, the larger reality than just our business performance as we got to figure out a way to do this more efficiently. And uh, so, like I said, we're developing, you know, LED lights designed for use as a supplemental light and greenhouse. We're looking at different nutrient packages um, that are as as efficient as possible for for the consumer from a cost perspective. So we got a bunch of stuff we're working on from an innovation perspective. And like I said, that that facility we're working on up in Canada is going to allow us to really get creative with with how the plant is cultivated, and I think learn some some pretty interesting stuff. Just because I don't think a lot of the research that that we plan to conduct up there is being done right now in as rigorous a setting as as we'll conduct it. Can, can you tell me more of, about what you're doing up in Canada? I'm, I'm very interested in, you know, sort of the, you know, you're talking about, you know, very specific sort of things, but you're talking about them vaguely. Yeah, sure. Um, which is not entirely by accident. Um, yeah, no, for sure. I, I get it. But yeah, look, we, uh, you know, we, we've been launching products and the brands that we've acquired have been launching products forever that haven't, they're designed and they're, you know, the intent is for them to work well on cannabis. But the reality is that we didn't really know. And we'd, you know, we'd test them on what we call proxy crops. You know, we'd test them on petunias, test them on tomatoes. And again, you look at it and say, okay, we're pretty sure this is going to work well. You know, and back in the day before we acquired these businesses, you know, maybe they'd give some to a sales guy who's grown at his house. And you say, hey, let us know how it went. You know, let us know what the effect was. That's just, yeah. for me, that's, it's not good enough. You know, and, and when I look at, my counterpart parts at Scott's Miracle Grow in Ohio, who are launching, for example, like a rose plant food. The idea that they would launch that without having tested on roses is completely ridiculous. Um, so for us, it was it was essential that we have the the ability to actually test our products on the plant that a lot of our consumers would be growing. So we couldn't do that here in the U.S. just due to the the federal law and all the restrictions we have. So we went to Canada and we're building out a 50,000 square foot facility up in Canada. There'll be a combination of indoor, outdoor and greenhouse with the intent of really getting smart on how do all our products work on the plant. Again, we know they work because people buy them and people give us feedback. So we feel pretty confident, but I want to know how our products stack up against our competition. Really, I believe our products are the best, but I want to be able to run really rigorous, stringent side-by-side testing. And then I want to innovate. I want to know if I if I shine a certain spectrum of light on the plant at certain times and give it certain types of nutrients and certain trace minerals, what can we do with the plant? How can, can I drive a plant to create way more CBD or THC or some other compound? Or can I, can I cause the plant to put out a different terpene profile than it would otherwise? Those are all things that we haven't had the ability to do yet. And I don't see a lot of Real, what, what I would consider scientifically rigorous testing being done in the space yet. 
I have no doubt that it will be done soon. And I'm sure lots of people are working on it, but it's, this is, this is going to be a purpose built facility to really show us kind of what our products do and how can we make them even better. Is this your baby, man? Because you sound really, really passionate. I about am super. This. Yeah, no, look, look, I, at, at the risk of sounding selfish and look, I have done the Hawthorne thing with, you know, my pops and I'll, I'll, I'll spare the language partially. Um, my, my father's a pretty colorful guy when it comes to language. Um, when we'll, we'll, we'll put proposal in front of me and I'll say, yeah, you and what F and army, um, so this is one where I look, I've had an army with me on this. I, I've, it's been the opposite of doing this alone. So I've got hundreds and hundreds of people who, who've been part of it. And we've spent a ton of Scotts Miracle Grow money to get it done. But this Hawthorne thing I, I do see as, as, as my, along with a lot of other people's babies, it's something I care a lot about. And this Canadian thing is just, it's not going to be the crown jewel in it. I think the, the sunlight acquisition that we did, uh, you know, 14, 15 months ago, that was the crown jewel up to this point. But this Canadian thing, it's just, it's so important. It's such a common sense move for us. And it took a lot of maneuvering within within the sort of bureaucracy of Scots to get it approved because it's not an insignificant amount of money we have to invest up there. Um, and it took a lot of searching to find the right partner because um, we needed someone who was, a, who was a licensed grower up in Canada, you know, an operating LP because we needed to piggyback on that license. So it was a it was a long, complicated process to get where we're at, and we should be opening that facility in the next few months. So I'm, I am passionate, and I'm, yeah, I'm really excited. So, I mean, one of the I think overlooked issues when we talk about cannabis cultivation legally is is something you you sort of alluded to earlier was was the the electricity aspect of it, and and part of that is due uh, to local governments, right? Like some states do not allow outdoor cultivation full stop, uh, you know, in the more conservative states. Um, so, you know, what, you know, how long until you sort of, you know, in your estimation, until we see uh, a change to more efficient ways of, of growing sort of nationwide? Yeah, look, I think, I think to get to a really efficient place, nation place nationwide is going to, necessitate federal legalization, having every state be its own little kind of micro market where you can't move product across state lines, at least not cannabis, obviously hemp is a different story. Um, but for cannabis, look, it's, it's going to be a little weird, you know, cause a place like, you know, shit, like, like where you live, it's like, there's not a whole lot of grown season up there. Um, you can get like one turn in and that's just not going to cut it for most people. To say nothing of places like Maine or Vermont, or New Hampshire, you know, New England or the Pac Northwest, whatever. So a lot of parts of the country, you you, you got to grow indoors. I mean, greenhouse works a little bit better, um, but I again, I think I think to really move towards truly efficient growing is going to demand fifty state legalization, the ability to move product across state lines. Although to be candid, that's not a so I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like I'm kind of going kind of against what I just said, but I'm not really looking forward to 50 state legalization for us. That's a, that's a tough day just because every new market being its own little unique market in each state, that means that every new state that gets legalized, there's a bunch of new grows. We sell a bunch of new product as spots get built out. So we like this kind of steady, you know, a couple states every year, March that we've been on for the past few years. Cause it just, it ensures really good business for us. And that's kind of one of the things that worries me as much as, as much excitement as there is about 50 state legalization. 
when that happens, it's it's only a matter of time before we move towards these like super farms that are going to be really low cost. They'll move product all over the country, and it's going to change. It's going to change the industry in ways that I don't think anybody can really anticipate. Um, and and it's something that that scares me. Look, as a business person, it scares me as a consumer, um, as just a a fan of the category, a fan of the industry. It's just it's going to have ripple effects that I don't think anyone can really predict. You know, I mean, not for nothing, man. It's it's sort of unexpected to to hear you sort of you know uh, speaking out against you know super farms and sort of uh, you know sort of a, a monopolization of of cannabis. Considering, I mean, these are the same thing that people are saying about your own company that they're worried right, well, about. Well, you know, fair enough. Look, I, there's I I I don't know if I'm blurring the lines too much of sort of me the the individual and me the the business person. Um, what I would say is, look, we we don't hold such dominant market share in any category that I would consider us even close to monopolization. You know, there's we got dozens and dozens of strong competitors in every category, and and and, and I'm glad for that. It makes us better. It keeps us sharper. It makes us fight harder. Um, as for my concern about sort of you know large grows dominating this industry, look, it's. From a purely practical perspective, it's not a good thing for my business. That's the reality. Um, you're going to find people who are going to be extremely bottom line focused, which will look which business people should be, but they're going to be growing things as cheaply as possible. Which means it's going to make it's going to make life harder for me and everyone else. Now, look, it, the benefit will be for the consumer, but I think it's going to be potentially a little harder to find really good quality product. Um, it'll, we'll move towards that kind of Budweiser world where, yeah, you can get Bud anywhere, but is that really what you're looking for? Um, so I think, again, I'm blending the lines a little bit between, I don't think it's a great thing for my business and we're preparing for that world. Obviously we know it's just a matter of time and we're, and I think we'll be as, as well positioned as anybody to deal with it, but it's not something I relish. And as a consumer, just as a, as a cannabis consumer, a cannabis kind of fan, yeah, it's it's not something I'm super excited about because I think it's going to put some small growers out of business that just sucks to see. And it's going to make kind of mass grown kind of mids quality flower way more prevalent, which I'm not ultra excited about either. Um, so, again, I, 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 you know, I I apologize to these skeptics who are listening that I'm, I'm not you know, maybe contradicting myself or sounding hypocritical, but that's that is the way I feel. No, I mean, I, I've I've said plenty of times, you know, on this show, like I'm pro legalization, just not really looking forward to the day where it's federally legal. I think that that's going to create a lot of problems uh, for the smaller growers, and you know, just just I think it's going to marginalize far more people. Uh, maybe not that the drug war did. I mean, that's I think a little hyperbolic, but you know, the people who have sort of made. Uh, something for themselves in this sort of nascent industry, I think it's going to crush them. Um, well, I've been saying that for, for quite a while, but I want to, you know, talk to you, uh, you know, more about the R and D stuff. I, I know that you can't say too much about the Canadian stuff and I can't wait to hear more about that when, when, you know, it's up and running, but what do you think is the most pressing issue for cultivation focused companies uh, with regard to research and development as the cannabis industry? Expands? Yeah, look, I think there's, I think there's a few issues. Um, <clears throat> that that people need to be addressing and people are doing it all in their own ways. I think to me the biggest one was doing work on the actual plant, which again we've talked at some length about that and 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 at least the technique we took to get around that issue here in the US which is go to Canada. Um <laughs> but I think you know you look at some other issues and obviously these are sort of front of mind for me but 
all this kind of scare right now around vaping, I think is a huge issue. I think there's like no actual understanding of what's going on. A lot of people are making assumptions and saying, oh, this is what the problem is, or that's what the problem is. I don't think anyone knows. And we're working our butts off right now to try to figure out kind of what the what the cause is, or at least eliminate things we know aren't the cause, um, which m- maybe is a more efficient way to get to it. But I think really understanding, look, the things that we put into this plant, when you when you light it on fire and inhale it or put it through an extraction machine and you concentrate stuff, things happen to those to the chemicals that go into these plants, whether you're growing organically or or not. So for people to really understand, you know, how do the things that I put in the soil or in or in the in my nutrient reservoirs or a foliar spray that I spray in my plants, how do those things end up or not end up in consumers and what is the effect there? That's a really important thing to understand just from a consumer safety standpoint, especially when you think about the fact that, look, this is a lot of this is sold to people who are who we, we call patients, you know, and this is it's sold to people who are sick or who or who need this for their wellness in, in one regard or another, either mental or physical. And if if we and when I say we, I mean, the industry as a whole are are giving people product that we don't know how it might affect them. It's, it's just irresponsible. Um, so again, we do every bit of work we possibly can to feel comfortable with what we sell. And if we can't get comfortable, the bottom line is we just don't sell it. Um, but I'm, and I don't mean to make accusations, but I'm not sure the entire industry holds itself to that standard. And there's, and I think it's something that it's, it's concerning to me. And I think people need to start taking a hard look at, sort of what's in their portfolio and, and how much do we really know about it? Well, I mean, I mean, to your point, I mean, there, there's not a day that, you know, I cover this industry daily and, and there's really not a day that goes by where there's not some sort of lawsuit alleging bad behavior or, uh, you know, uh, you know, a couple companies in Canada just got their licenses suspended and, you know, the pesticide issue. And, and, you know, I think part of the way that we, you know, cause why do you use vape cartridges? Right. Because you can do it clandestine. Yeah, the discretion, yeah. You know, and and, and so we haven't had these sort of, you know, no one died of lung, Ill, lung illness related to just smoking cannabis, right? So uh, it's just sort of to your point, uh, sort of about the uh, potential for bad in this, by, by some, you know, just operators looking at the bottom line. Uh, really a breath, breath of uh, fresh air that, that I wasn't expecting, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Glad to, in, glad to be surprising. In, in now, now your your company is based in in, in Washington, um, which you know is one of the the more mature markets, uh, you know, in the United States. Uh, what do you see in in Washington that's that's becoming sort of the pressing issue there, or some of the, you know the changes that that uh, might be coming down the pike for the industry? Yeah, you know, Washington is a unique state. Well, you know, look, every state is unique right now. And that's part of the frustration for, for someone in my position is every state's trying to kind of reinvent the wheel when it comes to regulation and legislation and the way this is all rolled out, which is frustrating because they don't need to do that. There are states that have, that have figured it out. Well, maybe not all the way, but states that have made mistakes and sort of fixed them. And you just, it's frustrating to see other states kind of make those same mistakes again. Um, As for Washington, Look, I think the biggest thing, and anybody who was who was in Washington, and I think Oregon went through the same thing um, about a year ago, was you know those states didn't take a, a very strict approach when it came to 
capping the number of growers. They didn't take any approach, frankly. Um, if you had, if you had a, you know, a, a checking account with like 500 bucks in it and a pencil, you could fill out that application, write the check and you were good to go as a grower. And I think that caused a lot of people to rush into those states from other areas and try to like kind of state their claim as, you know, a, a cannabis grower, as a, as a, as a, as a marijuana millionaire. And so you saw those markets get flooded with product and it just completely tanked the price of, of, of actual flour and extract and everything. I remember reading a thing and this, I think it was Oregon, not Washington, but it, these problems I think exist in both States. At least they did a year ago where there was a, a backlog of product that would let, like, you know, it was like five pounds for every man, woman, and child in the state. And then an overflow that would last them like two years or something. Exactly. So stuff like that is crazy. And I think it's, you know, I just said the reasons that I like the state by state rollout, but this that we're talking about right now, this is one of the downsides is you can end up with crazy oversupply and it really jacks the pricing up and it makes it hard for, I think anybody to make money. Now, look, maybe the dispensaries can make some money, even though I think that's pretty difficult with with the way that they're taxed, the way they have to bank right now. Um, and I know that improved, you know, pretty recently with the Safe Banking Act, looking like it's making progress. But when you when you end up with anybody who can come in and grow, there's not really a cap on how many they'll be or how much they can grow. You're going to end up with people in, in a relatively immature industry where people aren't thinking about, you know, does this market, this state market need another grower people just show up and start growing and you end up with with a lot of supply that outstrips demand it screws pricing up and it takes a long time to recover that and look the the silver lining here is that this product does have a shelf life you know this you can't just sit in your in your in your warehouse for for five years like you could a bottle of wine it does eventually go bad which you know, it sucks for growers that end up having to sit on stuff until it goes bad, but it does reset the marketplace um, in a way that I think is healthy for just for for business. So, can can I ask since uh, since federal legalization in Canada, did did how much did that increase your footprint in Canada, your business in Canada? Uh, a lot, <laughs> I'd say to 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 say it broadly. Um, you know, we we don't have the same restrictions in Canada that we do. Have that we do here, um, down here, you know, and there's, it's, it, it's really interesting. It's two very different marketplaces here in the U S there's a network of, you know, more than 2000 hydroponic retailers. These are just, you know, your, your neighborhood hydro shop. Those guys have been a integral part of this whole process for decades. Now it's the place that growers went to for advice, yeah. um, you know, for, for a tip on some new product or some new technique, and they've they've really become a structural part of the industry. Up in Canada, there wasn't really the same network of retailers, which which opened the door for for a company like us to deal directly with the growers up there. And we also we didn't have any laws up there. We didn't have any bankers that we work with telling us we couldn't do it. So we just went directly to the to the LPs and and started transacting directly with them, which is. It's great for us. I think it's I think it's good for for our customers up there. You know, it, it keeps it keeps prices down, keeps margins healthy, and it allows us to really learn how to work with large scale growers. Now, here in the U.S., I don't see things becoming the way they are in Canada for for quite a while, frankly, if ever, um, just because these retailers have have made themselves so indispensable. But for us, knowing how to service 
people with a lot of different facilities across a really wide geographic area, um, people who are, you know, we're dealing with growers up there who've got entire purchasing departments and procurement teams. And, you, you know, you're dealing with with much more of a corporation customer than you are an individual like you are down here. Um, and I think it's been really, it's been a really valuable learning for us because there's going to come a time where that's going to be just the way it is everywhere. And for us to be able to cut our teeth up in Canada is is really useful because Canada, look, Canada is smaller than California when it comes to yeah. population, when it comes to a, a sort of the, the total addressable market for us. So it's a, it's a good rehearsal, I'd say. How, as general manager, uh, how hands-on are you with these sort of international deals? Uh, you know, look, it depends. Every 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 one of these relationships is unique. Um, we yeah. do try to treat. You know, it's interesting. Like I said, the U.S. and Canada are very different marketplaces and environments for us. But I would say, you know, so I'd say our large customers up in Canada are the grows. Our large customers down here are our large retailers. And you're starting to see more and more retailers that are that are chains that have multiple stores, either in the same state or or, or across the country. Yeah. And we try to treat all those guys kind of the same, which is – and this is something that we learned from, from our brethren back in Ohio at Scott's Miracle Grow is you establish what we call top-to-top relationships, which is how they deal with their big customers, guys like Home Depot or Lowe's, where they'll – you know, every quarter. So, you know, so four times a year, the leadership at Scott's will meet with the leadership at Home Depot and just have dinner and catch up and talk about any outstanding issues, that kind of thing. That's been the kind of relationship that we try to forge with with our customers, our bigger customers, again, up in Canada as growers and down here as retailers, is to really try to get a good personal connection at the top. Um, day-to-day, the the relationships are serviced by our sales professionals, by our customer service people, um, et cetera. But again, we try to have the the top to top relationship that at least, you know, if I reach out to the, the CEO of a big grow up in Canada or the CEO of a big retailer here that that I've got them in my phone, that they'll respond to me and vice versa. Um, that personal touch is still super important. I can't do it everywhere. Um, we just have too many customers at this point. But yeah. for the big folks, yeah, it's look, it's I, and this is true of any industry that the personal touch, especially from the leadership, just goes a heck of a long way. And, and I'm lucky, you know, I mentioned kind of at the top of the pod about how important it was for us to buy businesses that had strong management teams. We've been able to retain a lot of the top talent from the businesses we bought. And that really lightens the load for me just because we got a lot of people who know this industry, who've got a ton of great relationships and who are not just trusted by me, but I think trusted by our customers also. Man, I, I really appreciate your candor on this. You know, it's 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 uh, not it's really not every day that that I have this opportunity to really pick the brain of of uh, you know somebody who operates internationally for this you know very well known company. Uh, who's who's? I mean, it's, it, your your passion. I mean, it just comes through, and and you know, and like I said, it's refreshing. Um, you know, to hear. That. Thank you. Uh, what advice do you have or would you have for, you know, entrepreneurs, you, you know, you deal with a lot of people, uh, you know, individuals and otherwise, um, you know, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who would look looking to enter the space? Yeah, look, I'd say, look, you know, you got to be super determined and I'm going to be in the in the interest of trying to stay as as candid and transparent as I can. Look, I I can't speak to the some of the struggles that that I think your average entrepreneur is going to have because I man, I was 
I was born into this. I, and I, so I didn't have to fight a lot of the, the battles. I think that a lot of the folks that, that we'll be talking to right now will have to fight. That's just the reality. And, and I, I wish for my own sense of pride and ego that I could say I'd fought those battles, but I was, I'm super lucky. Um, and I, and I've been, I've been given opportunity that I've tried really hard not to screw up. And I think I've done okay. But again, I haven't been the guy scrapping and bootstrapping for funding. I just, I never had to do that. Um, so I'm going to be talking a little out of turn here. Just my perspective um, for whatever it's worth is look, do not get discouraged. It's going to be a long, hard battle. Don't overpromise. If you're bringing money on from investors, whether that's, you know, and look, especially if it's friends and family, don't tell them fairy tales about what you'll be able to deliver or when. So I guess you got, you got to start by being honest with yourself. And then you got to be honest with the, the folks who are helping you do it, that it's going to take a while. And there's a really real chance it won't work just like in any business. But I think especially this one, it's really competitive. You know, I, I've said this a lot of times. I think this is the hottest, most exciting industry, I guess, outside of tech, um, you know, Silicon Valley shit in, in the entire world, certainly in America. And look, I don't know how to code. So this is kind of it for me. And this is something I care about. So, but there's a lot of people that are attacking this industry right now. A lot of people that are trying to do, to make moves in it. So it's a, it's a crowded marketplace right now with a lot of people coming after the same opportunities and Silicon Valley doesn't deal with the same stuff that we deal with here, which is a ridiculous banking code or ridiculous tax code where people are getting taxed like 80% because they can't deduct normal business expenses. Silicon Valley can get banking relationships that most of our customers can't. So it's, it's a hard place to make money right now in America. Now, I think if you can establish a business and kind of weather the storm in terms of taxation and banking and everything else and actually stick around until those laws rationalize, and they will eventually, I think you'll be sitting on a cash machine, but until then, it's going to be hard. And I just think a lot of people come into this industry expecting, you know, if I grow weed, people will buy it and I'll make a lot of money. And that's just, that's not the way it is. It's a lot harder than, than people seem to think before they enter it. So I'd say, again, do not lose hope, but don't, don't lie to yourself and certainly don't lie to the people that are investing in you because it's, it's hard and I've seen a lot of people who've worked their asses off, who have been very smart people kind of lose, lose everything they put into it just because it's just, it's difficult. So I'm repeating myself now. <laughs> well, man, where can people find out uh, more about you, uh, more, more about Hawthorne, like, like plug it up. Oh man. God. Okay. So look, go to our website, HawthorneGC.com. Um, we tried to buy Hawthorne, but it belongs to some company that sells like Christmas ornaments and they wouldn't sell it to us for what I would consider a reasonable price. So we don't have it. Yeah. It's yeah. So HawthorneGC.com is as close as we could get. So go check that out. Um, check out all our social, you know, Hawthorne gardening on Instagram and all that. Um, as for me, look, I'd say type my name into Google stuff about me is out there. Um, please just do your research. I've had a lot of people who've read some, what I would consider a biased post on like Facebook written by our our detractors who assume they know everything that there is to know about me. Um, I've done enough of these kind of interviews and stuff. Just look around um, and 
and do your research and get a what I would what I would hope would be a balanced perspective, just because there's a lot of nonsense out there. We've already talked about on this. Yeah, it's uh, it's the internet. There's there's a lot of nonsense everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank you, man. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm 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 really really excited about this Canada thing. Uh, so I hope that you can keep me in the loop uh, somewhat on that. Um, yeah, maybe we can do a follow up pod from uh, from Kelowna. Or, or we can just go to Canada. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, exactly. We'll just we'll hop on the plane and fly up there and do a, hop on a plane. I, I, live, I live, I live an hour from the border. I'm, I'll just walk over. All there. right, fair enough. Yeah, we'll meet you up there then. <laughs> oh, uh, my guest was Chris Hagedorn. He's the general manager for Vancouver, Washington-based Hawthorne Gardening. I, I think your grandfather uh, would be would be quite proud of you, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Thank you, man. I appreciate you saying that. It's been a lot of fun. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brown.